we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy, and they are. I'm your huckleberry. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go fight in the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. All for all and one for one, then, I guess. Stone Mountain Media. Ale to the King. Howdy, y'all. It's been a minute, but welcome back to Stone Mountain Media. I'm Sean here with Dave. Dave, give a greeting. I'm just wondering what what uh, had to develop in your life for you to kind of naturally lead out with a howdy. I noticed it because you're a Yankee, but I, I don't mind it. I'm just saying there's been some transformation, I think. I try to sprinkle in some howdies and some y'alls as much as I can. So we're on a, a commuter episode on our way to church this Lord's Day. Uh, hopefully you are going to at or coming from church today. Make sure that you're uh, with God's people on his day, uh, sanctifying this day unto the Lord. Uh, we are here to talk uh, theology, to do a little back and forth, to take up two sides of a position and uh, see if we can g- gain uh, greater clarity uh, through a, a discussion on the topic. Uh, so I want to start with a question for you, Dave. Uh, how familiar are you with Metallica? In high school, when I was uh, so small that even wet, if there was a strong enough gust of wind, it might just knock me right over. Uh, High school weightlifting room, high school football coaches, just were the coolest dudes out there. Strength and conditioning coach for the high school team, coolest dude out there. The room was pretty small. All the walls had mirrors. And uh, the goal anytime any group of guys went in there to train was to fog up fog up the mirrors so you couldn't see yourself because you're sweating so hard. And the playlist was Metallica every time. Were you familiar with them enough to know what album those songs were coming off of? I think it was the Sir Sweats A Lot album. Alright, so if you talk to some old school metal fans... Right, they're probably gonna enjoy all of Metallica, uh, but particularly uh, perfect example. That's what people think of with Metallica, but before that, they were nights. You gonna keep going? No. Okay. (laughs) Gosh. All right. Before that, before uh, Ride the Lightning, before Master of Puppets, before they were popular. They had an album when they were truly metal. For the metal fans, they were truly metal. That album was called Kill 'Em All. Nice. Kill 'Em All. That's and we're here cool. today to talk about annihilationism. That's so annihilationism cool. is uh, a doctrine that's, that proposes the idea that uh, for those who trust in Christ, 
they'll be granted eternal life in heaven, new heavens and new earth, dwelling with God forever. Which is, uh, on that side of the coin, they hold an orthodox understanding of what eternal life looks like for those who are blessed to have uh, right standing with God through the forgiveness of Christ. Uh, on the flip side of that coin, for those who are uh, reprobate, for those who do not bow the knee to Christ in repentance and faith, they do not experience eternal punishment, but instead are annihilated, wiped away, no longer to exist. They cease to be. The fruit of their wicked deeds is not eternal punishment at the hand of God in the sense that they are suffering eternally in a conscious torment, but instead are are wiped off the face of the earth. So that's annihilationism. We're here to talk about that today. I'm going to take up the affirmative, and Dave is going to defend, uh, I think, what can fairly be called orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is sweating. <laughs> so, if I were annihilationist, I walk into this this bar and I see you. You look like a Christian man. You're sitting there with a big stack of books, Bible open. And I come up to you and I say, uh, "Well, you know, what do you think about uh, what do you think about eternity for those who who don't trust in Christ?" Um, my position is that uh, you know those who those who don't trust in Christ are annihilated. Uh, wiped off the face of the earth, um, not sent to hell forever, but sent to hell to be judged in a moment and then wiped away. Uh, I can't imagine being in heaven as a Christian myself and having to think about, you know, God continually punishing these wicked people. I, I, I believe that God's going to wipe wipe out all wickedness from not just from the earth and not just from heaven, but from existence. Uh, God's going to take care of all of that. It's going to be done and away with, and that's that's what justice looks like. Uh, you wanted me to interact with that before I like, go into like more. Pretty hard to interact with. I think it's kind of case closed, but uh, yeah, a couple a couple things on that. Uh, first, my my first impression of annihilationism. And then I want to move to the saints thinking about the tormented, and then and then look at some places in the Bible that I think uh, rule out annihilationism as a position. By the okay. way, first time I heard of annihilationism, uh, I was in college, and uh, John Stott was like the preferred theologian of a lot of a lot of the folks I, I ran around with uh, because they loved the Cross of Christ. Great book. And, um, you know, John Stott was a contemporary of Martin Lloyd-Jones and J.I. Packer. Uh, J.I. Packer, rest in peace, brother. Uh, made it to your your uh, dwelling in the immediate presence of the Lord. So congratulations. And, uh, but, heard of it and actually probably heard it interacted with first by John Piper. Okay. I'm assuming any theology that I did in college <laughs> was was uh, had something to do with John Piper. Yeah, I uh, I heard about it actually in the same vein. I just gotten baptized into uh, the church that we're a part of now, and we're going through a series on Galatians. And uh, our pastor was primarily using a commentary on Galatians by Stott, and so kind of ran into annihilationism in a in a similar way. Yeah. So 
you know, to, to that point, uh, heresy is always, I, I would categorize annihilationism as a heresy outside the, the bounds of, of orthodoxy because it, it denies a central tenet of, uh, of the Christian faith, namely who God is, what is justice defined by who God is, uh, and what is the just desert of the damned. Uh, those, are, those are central to uh, Christianity. And so you, you deny any of those things and you are outside the bounds of orthodoxy. The, the, the tough part on a practical level is when you have guys like John Stott, uh, you know, holding to it. And uh, I kind of put up my hands like, nah, you know, I don't know. But uh, most people I know who are annihilationists are not of the caliber of John Stott. I guess I'll leave it there. Unless you have any clarifying thoughts. I mainly have a lack of clarity thought. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we are going to have a lot of clarity on something like that. He is a he's a giant in a lot of ways, and so I think we can respect him as such and see uh, a huge flaw there, uh, and know that you know God is gracious. Yeah. Uh, we don't see the heart, so we we leave all that to God. We take the the blessings He's given us through a guy like Stott, um, and it's not going to make us hesitate to talk about annihilationism as a heresy, just because a guy we respect a lot who says a lot of good things, who's a better man than us. Uh, says a lot of good things on other things uh, it's not going to keep us from calling annihilationism what it is I was wondering which uh, which error of Stotts do you find more troubling his annihilationism or his Anglicanism probably annihilationism so yeah, that's fair <laughs> considering it's a heresy <laughs> okay uh, thinking about how could saints be thinking about people in the lake of fire or in in the thing that the Orthodox call hell. You know, those Orthodox, those guys that just maneuvered politically to get certain doctrines insisted upon back in the day and got the other guys all killed. <laughs> it's like Democrats back in the day. But uh, the, the chief Orthodox were the Clintons. If you opposed them, you got, you got knocked off. But thinking about saints being aware of reprobate being punished uh, forever... Uh, how, how could that be? And, and I would just say uh, that it could be as an item of celebration, as a, as a fixture of our eternal bliss in which we celebrate the greatness uh, of our God uh, over our foes. Um, the wicked, uh, the wicked will be punished. God is good. Sometimes guys get off the hook down here some guys get away with things sometimes guys get punishments that are far too small for what they've done 10 years for a murder 10 years for a rape guys are going to get theirs every last one of them all those who refused uh, to worship the living God uh, through Christ and we will celebrate God's goodness in punishing them forever, you know, we're, we're working through Revelation, and uh, there is prayer upon prayer upon prayer for God to unleash His wrath upon His enemies, the enemies of His people. There is silent, excited anticipation. There's loud trumpeting and rejoicing and song, all in response to wrath being poured out upon His foes. And then a quick, a quick thing I, 
forgot to say this in terms of uh, my initial initial response mm-hmm. uh, to annihilationism. I'm a you know I'm a God hater, okay. And and a Christian comes and he tells me the gospel, tells me the what's what, and says, "Here's the deal. You got two options in life, two ways to live, two destinies of man. You can pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ." all the days of your life here and eternally doing nothing but worshiping Jehovah or and this is the bad option this is what you don't want you can refuse to worship Jehovah and then it's over well if I'm a God hater in my heart I hate God I've got one option of never, the never ending torment of having to worship him. Or, I get to be a hard charger for the time I've got and then check out. Yeah. I'm taking that deal philosophically. Those are my, those are my initial thoughts. Yeah, and the, I think the, the, you know, the, the issue with it there is you're already. You, you touched on this, and I think we'll touch on it more, especially as we get into some scriptures, but you're already uh, diminishing, uh, undermining who God is in that proclamation. So, uh, not seeing this, the severity of, of who God is, right? Uh, his justice, His severity. None of that's being made plain to you by a weak preaching of the gospel like that, an insufficient preaching of the gospel like that. And so... Really, you don't even have. Yeah, you don't have before you the re- the two realities that uh, could be yours eternally, and therefore are going to fail to understand uh, the weight of the decision before you. One thing I'll touch on as well before we press on uh, lo- evaluating a statement like the one I made. Uh, by no means do I think that's you know the statement. I think a lot of what I said is exactly what an annihilationist is going to say. But part of what I did is an appeal to emotion. Right? I could never imagine me. In my human reasoning, which is never where we ultimately want to lie uh, or what we don't want to rely on, I could never imagine thinking about people suffering in hell forever. And part of the reason I said that is because Stott has quotes to that to that effect. It's not a it's not something that is it's something that is utilized in the in the annihilationist argument, uh, an appeal to an appeal to emotion, an appeal to human reasoning as to how we would reconcile. Uh, the difficulty of, of that reality. Yeah. And, uh, so to your point about who God is that, you know, the Orthodox position is that, uh, it's, it's not the crime in and of itself that determines the punishment, but, uh, a just punishment is determined by the one against whom a crime is committed. And so the illustration that was, uh, you know, always used by Raymond Goodlett, that he took from somebody, that took from somebody, everyone now takes it, uh, is, you know, if, if you were, uh, if you were out on the street and you kill a squirrel, you know, nothing happens, right? People might think you're a hick, 
But beyond that, you got some PETA people who might protest you, but nothing's really going to happen. You kill a squirrel. If you uh, kill me, uh, you'll, you'll go to jail for a long time. Right? Maybe. But they're not going to take your life. If you kill the president, well, you're going to be one of the very few who's federally executed. And, and you know, technically, if you want to be really broad about it, the same actions committed in each three instances, you, you kill another living being. Right. But the, the value of the one killed is, uh, increases in each instance, and therefore the punishment, the proportionate just punishment, increases. What justice demands increases. We all, we all recognize that uh, and, and agree with that. And so uh, how much greater... I used to talk about this with Saudis all the time. You know, I, I would say, what, you know, what if you killed King Abdullah? And they were like, oh, gosh, don't even say that because somebody's probably listening. I'm going to get killed. <laughs> ah, my sister. Ah. And I would say, how much greater is God to King Abdullah? And they'd be like, well, infinitely. I mean, who could compare to God? Right. His might, power, his majesty, and, and, his, and who he is then determines what kind of punishment, the duration, the intensity, the horror of the punishments required. That's right. Yeah, and, and Scripture actually does testify to this. I've talked to a lot of annihilationists who would say it's not about the one sin against, but it's about the crime itself. That crime needs to be punished. But Scripture clearly lays out a difference between killing a beast and killing a man. And does the same for the difference between uh, sinning against a man and sinning against God. It and kind so, of puts you in an awkward position if you're a judge, if someone were to kill me, because then it's like, well, he kind of killed a beast and he killed a man. What do you do? Right. Yeah, yeah. that's a... That's why I'm not a judge. Yeah, gosh. <laughs> but uh, we're going to we're gonna shortly here just dive into some scriptures and really lay out uh, what the Bible has to say about what justice looks like uh, for those who, who sin against God. So we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, who's our sponsor today, Dave? I forgot. <laughs> uh, Black Lives Matter. Oh, Black Lives Matter. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the support. Uh, it's very mutual. Please don't be offended by our last podcast against Black Lives Matter. Uh, we're still happy to, to take your sponsorship money. So we'll be right back. And we are back. You might think, why would we dig ourselves such a hole with having Black Lives Matter, this organization that loves to destroy the family, on our podcast? Now we have to do so many extra episodes just going back on that. Well, one word for you all, money. We're about that money. So thanks, Black Lives Matter, for that endorsement. Uh, we're going to enter into the second half of this discussion on annihilationism. You might be thinking, gosh, after that first half, I'm an annihilationist because I annihilated David uh, in that half. He's hoping to bounce back with some Bible. Uh, so I'll kick it over to you, Dave. What do you got for us? Yeah, I got uh, I got two things. One um, is in light of some Bible study we did last week they just providentially aligned with the the heresy of annihilationism and then uh, I want to turn to the passage in the Bible that was that the, the first passage I was taught to go to in response to annihilationism when I was confronted with this idea that some people believed uh, that the reprobate were simply annihilated, that they simply ceased to be upon death uh, and I, I remember going to uh, to Raymond my my pastor and my 
Christian mentor, and he, he told me to turn here. And, and one thing, kind of an approach, approach he he gave me, which has its it has its shortcomings, but it's an approach that's uh, helpful to someone without an encyclopedic mind, uh, which I would say I'm someone without an encyclopedic mind. He taught me, you know, in in a debate, in a controversy of of religion. Uh, if you've got a slam dunk text in the matter, just know where that slam dunk text is that you can turn to. And then just refuse to let your opponent move beyond that text until he sees the point that you've dunked on his forehead. So as long as you've got a slam dunk text and have the wherewithal to not let your opponent move to move out of it before you've completed your dunk then you're going to be fine in in debate over, over controversy. Now, the uh, the shortcoming is if you take that kind of approach too far, you can forget to make sure you know the whole counsel of God and, and have a breadth of knowledge. But if it's truly a slam dunk, if you've truly understood a passage and you haven't twisted it to fit your needs, but really grasp what it's saying and it really does clearly answer a question, like 1 John 5, 7, for example, as a slam dunk uh, on Trinitarian doctrine, uh, then you don't have to be Mr. Fancy Schmancy. Just have your one one text and go win. So I'm going to go there uh, after Revelation 9. Last week in our Bible study in Revelation, we were, we were hearing more from Christ uh, in chapter 9 as to what rebellious Jews were going to experience from him as he poured out his wrath on them uh, in the years up to and at AD 70 for their murder of him, for their murder of his people, for their rejection of their Messiah, for their their kind of final apostasy, what was going to befall them when he came in wrath. And in Revelation 9, We're looking at the kind of uh, the, the five-month culmination of the siege of Jerusalem, and we're told uh, that in verse five, Revelation. I'll start with Revelation nine, verse five. And to them, this uh, locust horde from the abyss. It was given that they should not kill them those that they were sent to torment uh, namely the, the Jews within the walls of Jerusalem under siege by the Romans but that they should be tormented five months and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man and in those days and in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. I'll read verse 6 one more time. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. And what we see there was that prior to any discussion of the final hell, We're, 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 it's a, it's a commuter episode, so we're, we're leaving church. 
and there's a guy in, an, in a Ford F-150 and he's got a, a a Playboy Bunny sticker logo on the back of his truck that's why I was distracted because nothing says classy guy nothing says white trash like a dude in his 40s with a Playboy sticker on his pickup truck uh, white trash all the way baby so anyway what we're, what we're being told about here is an in this life reality an in this life reality uh, we're not even talking about the, 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 the final judgment we're talking about a, a prefigure a foretaste of that final judgment where literally uh, these Jews in particular were going to experience the closest approximation of hell on earth possible as it was given to Satan to open up the door covering the bottomless pit and to usher forth an army of of demon locusts to torment these Jews. And so these Jews were going to experience uh, hell from the abyss on earth and they were uh, looking for death and not finding it, looking at death as a grace, as a mercy as an escape from what was more terrible, hell on earth. And what we see there as a principle, and I actually brought up annihilationism uh, in the Bible study from this text, uh, is that there is something worse than death. Yes, death is uh, part of uh, the judgment of God for sin. It's, 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 a, con- it's a direct consequence for sin but the death that we will all experience Christian or otherwise pales in comparison to living under the wrath of God and what was experienced as hell on earth far worse than death by these Jews is going to be experienced by all those who refuse to bow the knee to the Messiah who, are, who will be cast into the fire and will long for a cessation of being and yet never have it. Uh, I think this is a, a very useful text in the conversation about annihilationism to show that the wrath of God uh, is unleashed against his enemies in a way that is worse than death. It doesn't culminate, climax in death, but actually moves beyond death into something more terrible. The just deserts of the sinner. That's right. Uh, now, before I move to the, the other text that, uh, you know, my father in the faith, Raymond, helped me point to, uh, helped point me to and uh, keep in mind on this question, I want to make one point about death. Uh, death is the first death we all experience is the separation of body and soul so every man is a psychosomatic union so uh, in one person body and soul united and upon death our uh, bodies and souls 
are rent apart. And those who are with Christ in this life are with him upon that dying. Our, our bodies don't cease to be, but as seeds are planted in the ground, awaiting the day of resurrection, and our souls then are with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5.8. That same dynamic happens with those who refuse to bow the knee to Christ, those who refuse to be with Christ in this life. Their bodies and souls are separated, but their bodies don't cease to be either. But as seeds are planted and their souls go to Hades to await the future day of resurrection where for all mankind bodies and souls are reunited and we are sent to our final destination and at no point is death a cessation of being in the annihilationistic uh, sense of the idea at no point in the Bible does death give us uh, cessation of being. Now, in, in Revelation 9, as we saw, they looked to death as a cessation, as a mercy from hell on earth, the wrath of God being given to them. But there is nowhere for man, the living soul that man is, to find a cessation of being. Man will find uh, his just reward eternally from his maker and will live on in that forever. Now, I want to I want to go at this point to Matthew 25. Now, Matthew 25 is a is a great place not to see the uh, burden on the Christian for social justice engagement and charity, but to see the burden on the Christian to live uh, as a Christian and to care for the brethren. But it's also a great place to see uh, that annihilationism doesn't even begin to give us a picture of, of what is before, what is facing the damned. Let me lock in on where I want to start. Alright, I'm going to start in verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations. And He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left then shall the king say unto them on his right hand come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was a hungered and ye gave me meat I was thirsty and ye gave me drink I was a stranger and ye took me in naked and ye clothed me I was sick and ye visited me I was in prison, and ye came unto me. They demonstrated who they were by what they did. And note the centrality of meat to the Christian life. We go on in verse 37. 
Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed. So he's looking at the goats, at those who are not his people, at the cursed. And he says, Depart from me, ye cursed. Now, departing from the presence of the king, where are they to go? Into oblivion? Annihilation? Cessation of being? No. Departing from the presence of the king, the cursed are to go into everlasting fire. They're to go into fire? To experience the burnings and anguish of the wrath of God? Everlastingly. How long is that? Forever. It is, it is actually interesting. As we're talking about Final Destination, I don't think that that guy is in truth in a funeral line, but for a second I thought we were following a guy in the back of a funeral procession because his car said funeral. But based on his 1980s rock hairdo, I doubt he's in such employment. But everlasting fire. Gosh, we are just killing it in California yeah, today. Dude. The next car we're behind says 666. So hopefully all of these folks listen to this podcast. In our series on Revelation, apparently. Yeah. Gosh. By the way, uh, we haven't gotten to this point in Revelation yet, uh, but when we get to 666, I haven't told you this yet, but I'm going to take the position that that's Gavin Newsom, so <laughs> just, just be ready for that. So, uh, the cursed, the goats, those who are not Christ's people, are to depart from Christ and go to a fire that is everlasting. A fire that's everlasting and prepared for the devil and his angels. Abaddon, Apollyon, and his locust hordes. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, namely, not to one of my brethren, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. So they, upon the decree of Christ in judgment, they left... And they did not go into oblivion, but into a punishment. A punishment put upon them, put upon them, put upon them forever. Can you read that key verse again? 
The one I just read? Uh-huh. Not about the least of these, my brothers, but about the, the fire. Oh, the fire? Yeah. Well, I'll read it back to back with, with the, the one I'm just on. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And notice the dichotomy defines, it, it, it cuts off any false interpretations of eternal punishment because it's the contrast to life eternal. So you have eternal, equal duration, blessedness, pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God, joy, glory, forever and ever and ever is the direct contrast, is the is the parallel contrast to eternal punishment to everlasting fire. And before I hand it back over to you, from this morning's sermon, uh, it was a really long message from uh, from Black Lives Matter. And in the meantime, we listened to a, a sermon at church. <laughs> Go to the sermon text in Revel uh, in not in Revelation in Romans chapter two. It, it, it pairs well with Matthew 25, like a nice cab salve with a very rare steak. Pairs well. Like, like a scotch from Islay with a schizo cigar. Uh, Romans 5, uh, Romans 3, verse 5. Romans 3. No, oh, gosh. Romans 2, verse oh, 5. I guess you're going somewhere else. Yeah. I'm all over the place. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well, in well-doing, seek for glory and and honor and immortality. Now let me read this again. Who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath will be what they get. Eternal life will be what the blessed get, the contentious, the disobedient, those who obey unrighteousness, they will get indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. What do the damned receive from God? Not annihilation. Indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. Anguish is something experienced in consciousness, in awareness. It's received and suffered under, consciously. That is what the damned receive. Anguish eternally. Back to you, sugar. Yeah, totally agree. That's uh, Honestly, in terms of there's definitely, I think we'd agree there's a few texts you can go to to defend an orthodox understanding of the eternality of, of hell 
the conscious torment for the damned. But that text in particular is helpful because I've he- I've even heard in, in arguments annihilationists say something along the lines of, well, yeah, I would agree that there's an everlasting fire. But the damned are cast into that everlasting fire and cease to be upon you know, entering into it. it. It incinerates them, right? And so now you, I, I think... That in and of itself is a it's a bad argument. Uh, God frivolously has this eternal fire going, uh, which, in case you don't know, you know it's like the, especially to the person emotionally appealing to like I can't imagine a world in which the wicked continue to be judged. Well, uh, do you really feel that much better about seeing this fire ablaze beneath have like in hell uh, as a consistent reminder of what of who went there and what happened there? You know, it's you still have that tension if if that's your position. But that text even eliminates that uh, silly argument because uh, it goes on to say not only is there an everlasting fire, uh, but that fire is for the purpose of bringing eternal punishment to the wicked. Eternal punishment to the wicked. Yeah, they are the faggots that that fire is eating up. They're the fuel of that fire. Uh, I don't get it. Like a bundle of sticks? Is that the... Yeah. Nice. The, your fires, they, they devour something. And as long as that thing is there to be devoured, the fire continues. Right. So the fire lasts forever as it punishes those thrown into it forever. That's right. I threw you off there. Well, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you're making a joke. I don't know how far not, you're going with not it. Not a joke, man. Yeah, I, well, yes, a joke, but I... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's a that's a quick a quick rundown on on our thoughts on annihilationism and a, a helpful text I hope to you from Matthew twenty five on how to deal with uh, those uh, proposing annihilation annihilationism as a biblical uh, idea. It's a big deal. It's not a, a tertiary issue. Uh, so let me ask you this: in terms of how big of a deal it is, yeah. Uh, tabling John Stott. Okay. Well, technically, even even John Stott. Yeah, even right? John Stott. You don't need yeah. to table it. Yeah. So let's say, let's say hypothetically, you're a pastor. All right. <laughs> Hypothetical world. <laughs> so hypothetically, you're a pastor, and then you discover that someone in your church holds to annihilationism, mm-hmm. and you present these arguments to him, and he refuses to change his mind. Okay. Uh, what is the consequence? Ecclesiastically, of the positions he's going to hold to. Ecclesiastically, the the issue there would be it'd be a church discipline issue. So uh, that, like you said, the first step would be to to go to that brother and to uh, call him to repentance for a doctrine that uh, truly undermines uh, who God is uh, based on His Word. And so uh, I would take that to him if if he refuses to repent then that would be taken to the church. So you're talking Matthew 18. Uh, take two or three with you. Uh, if it continues to not go well, that brother or sister continues to walk in unrepentance uh, for a false doctrine, uh, that would be extremely dangerous to the members of my church to have a, a member that, of the flock that would be propagating a, a doctrine like this. Uh, then it, we would take it to the church, and if they refused to repent even to the church, then we would uh, treat them as a, a tax collector or a Gentile. Now, with John Stott, right? So, so what? and what that means is, barred from the communion of the church, 
considered by the church politically, publicly, as an unbeliever. Right. Right? As outside the community of the covenant. As outside the covenant. They're being removed from the covenant in excommunication and barred from the table of communion. So not joining with the saints in assembling week in and week out in the courts of Christ. Yep. That's that's the judgment befalling uh, you know, this this man who refuses to repent of of that heresy. And and then without that communion and that covenant life, that man should have no confidence of his standing with the Lord. That's right. And so he, for, sh- he should he should experience that discipline as a demand of his repentance if he were to enjoy with the saints eternal blessedness. That's right. And so that's not to say that we know the eternal state of John Stott. Yes. That's not what we're saying. That's not what we're saying in that. Correct. But we as uh, when pastors evaluate something like this, we have to go off of you know what what we can see objectively. So this is an objective thing. God judges the heart. Uh, God can be gracious even unto a heretic, uh, somebody teaching heresy. Uh, and so we're not we're not claiming you know John Stott's not in heaven. That's that's God's to decide. Uh, God knows the heart. Uh, but we as as the body of Christ have to protect the purity of the body. And so we need to make those earthly decisions uh, as difficult as they may be at times. Uh, we've talked about it a decent amount moving through uh, this text, the text that you presented and just talking about annihilationism in general. Just talking about annihilationism in general. But I mentioned in terms of why we would do church discipline, uh, speaking of the, the character of God being assassinated. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before the break distinguishing between killing a beast and killing a man Uh, killing a man we're told what the punishment is for unjustly killing a man and it is physical death It's, it's physical death you're trying to tell me that the same punishment is allotted to uh, those who would sin against the holy God by no means God is holy, holy, holy to sin against him, the uncreated creator of all things. To sin against him is a heinous crime that can never be paid back fully by you. It will take eternity. For that's who he is. That is who he is and that's the weight of sinning against him. And that's why the God-man was sent. That's why Jesus Christ took on flesh. That's why the Son of God took on flesh in the person of Jesus to pay for our sins. That's what was required because of the weight of our sin. All of that, and even more we could talk about, is undermined when we talk about this idea that... Your your entire soteriology. That's right. Anything, it's a slap in the face of Christ. It it, it undermines even eternal life. Like you talked about, this dichotomy is necessary. Uh, It's not an unbalanced weight. It is eternity on both sides. And that's the gospel we preach to people. Eternal life... If you would but turn to Christ, eternal death, if you choose to live in your sins, all that's, all that's left for you is eternal death. But if you're hearing this and you're uh, weighing those things, choose Christ, choose eternal life, turn to him in faith. Uh, with that, this has been another episode of Stone Mountain Media. Enjoy this Lord's Day if you're listening today on the day we record it. Uh, sanctify it unto the Lord. Uh, this week, work hard unto God's glory. Uh, love your family well. Until next time, go with God.